Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. While you're turning there, I do want to just reiterate what John said earlier uh, to remind you next Sunday, which is Christmas Eve, we'll have a regular uh, Sunday school morning service, uh, and then at 6 p.m. we'll have our service of lessons and carols. So I want to encourage you and invite you to attend that in preparation uh, for Christmas and celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus. Today we are looking at Luke chapter 2. We're going to focus particularly on verses 8 through 20, but I want to start reading in verse 1. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let us pray. Father, this is your word, and we thank you for it. And we pray that as we study it now, that your spirit would illuminate our minds, warm our hearts, guide our wills, that in all things we would be pleasing to you. Feed our souls on your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The whole Bible is about Jesus, not just parts of it. That's why our curriculum for our children, published by Great Commission Publications, has the theme... Show me Jesus, even though they may be studying 1 Kings. Because ultimately and fundamentally, the Bible, from beginning to end, is about Jesus. It's about God's saving work 
in Jesus. However, if you want to read the particulars regarding Jesus' life, you would not go to 1 Kings. You would go to one of the Gospels. Now, we want to distinguish between the Gospels and the Gospel. The Gospel, really, the good news of Christ is the message of the entire Bible. But the Gospels refer to four books, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each describes the life of Jesus from a different perspective. Each emphasizes something different, and yet they come together to form a wonderfully coherent whole. And as we read the Gospels, we read about Jesus' birth and his life, about his teaching and his miracles, about his death and his resurrection. And so we learn a great deal about Jesus as we read the Gospels. However, the Gospels also contain something else that's very important and very instructive for us when we read them. And that is, of course, the works of Jesus, but also the responses to Jesus. Because as you read the Gospels, you find people responding, reacting to Jesus. Everything from Nicodemus in his curiosity, uh, coming to Jesus at night to converse with him, to the woman at the well, John 4, who spoke with Jesus and uh, went out to tell her friends about this one who told me all I had ever done, uh, to the rich young ruler with whom Jesus spoke and who walked away from Jesus, to the murderous hatred and plotting of the scribes and Pharisees to silence and get rid of Jesus. The Gospels certainly tell us about the life of Jesus, but they also tell us about the responses of people to Jesus, to those who encountered him. Well, as we think about that and along those lines, we have such a passage here before us because we're looking today at the angels. We're looking at the shepherds. We're in a series called The Cast of Christmas. Uh, anyone who has ever participated in or seen a children's Christmas program is familiar with the cast of Christmas. Uh, we've looked at Joseph. We've looked at Mary. Uh, looking at the uh, angels and the shepherds today, of course, there's the wise men and baby Jesus himself. But today, looking at the angels and the shepherds, we want to ask ourselves, what is our response to Christ? What is our response to the message of good news, the good tidings of glad joy that we read about here? Now, I think you could certainly say uh, fairly enough that this passage we have read is really the quintessential Christmas story. We've got it in Matthew 1. We read a couple of weeks ago, and you read other things in the scriptures, other passages, Old Testament prophecies, Isaiah 9, like we read earlier. Uh, but really, it seems to me that <clears throat> the passage that we've read, especially verses 8 through 20, capture Christmas. Perhaps that's why this is the passage that Linus recited when he said, and that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Because this interprets, this explains. It doesn't just describe the birth of a baby. It gives us, in a very brief encapsulated form, the meaning of Christmas. And therefore, it calls forth a response from us, just as it did from these shepherds. Well, let's look at it then and break it up into the angels and the shepherds. It really divides into those two parts. 
Uh, we learn from the angels that Christmas, and as we celebrate Christmas now, gives us the opportunity to hear the good news. We read, and I read earlier, the, the first part of this chapter describing the birth of Jesus taking place in Bethlehem as they had returned to that ancestral city in order to be registered and fulfilling the prophecy, incidentally, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It's almost frustrating as you read of Jesus' later ministry and life. He was known as a Nazarene, as coming from Nazareth. And they say, how can he be the Messiah? Look into to it and you'll see the Messiah comes from Bethlehem. Well, if only they'd probed a little deeper. But Jesus, of course, was born in Bethlehem, and we read of his birth. The days were fulfilled for Mary to give birth, and that poignant uh, uh, line, there was no place for them in the inn, and so he was born uh, and placed in a manger uh, for a crib. But then we read in verse 8, and in the same region, that same area, there were shepherds out in the field. They were out watching over their flocks out at night, which might indicate to us that this was probably rather warm weather to be out uh, at night. Uh, And as they're out there just doing what they always do, doing their jobs, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The angel's not named. Is it Gabriel, the angel who appeared to Mary? We don't know. But this angel, a messenger of God, appeared to them. And we read that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Now, the glory uh, could be described as the Shekinah glory, that radiant glory of the presence of God, though this was not God himself, but a messenger of God, but certainly a messenger of heavenly origin with something of the glory, the radiance, the light of heaven uh, accompanying him. We read, uh, for example, in the book of Acts, where Peter had been imprisoned and the angel came to him at night to deliver him. And we read that the whole cell was filled with light as this heavenly being comes in and, uh, and illuminates, radiates uh, this, this glory. And their response is predictable. <clears throat> Anytime that you read of an angel coming to someone, uh, with the exception perhaps of Mary, but even there uh, it seems that she was afraid, um, here explicitly, they were described as being terrified. In the words of the, uh, the good old King James, they were sore afraid. They were absolutely terrified by this, this being that had appeared to them, had lit up the night. They were filled with fear. And as is often the case, the angel responds to them, fear not. All too often, we approach the Lord God flippantly or carelessly or lightly. But it's worth noting that any time, not even God himself, but a heavenly messenger, an angel, encounters someone, they're frightened. They're afraid. We read of John uh, in, in Revelation wanting to kneel down before, and he says, no, no, get up. I'm not God. Don't worship me. The angels are not God, but they're a terrifying presence nonetheless. And if they are, how much more so the God whom we serve and should approach with reverence and fear because our God is a consuming fire. They were filled with fear, and yet angel reflecting the grace of his master says to them, do not be afraid, fear not. Why not? Well, because after this radiant glory, this terrifying sight, there is after all good news. 
verses 10 through 12. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, look, don't be afraid. This isn't a message of judgment or doom. This is not to strike you down. But rather, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. Now, that's a strange way to put it, something of an idiomatic way of putting it. Good news of a great joy. Now, we might say, I bring you terrific, I bring you news. You can't even imagine how good this is, how wonderful the news is that I'm about to give to you. And then they go on to explain it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. There was no ambiguity here. These shepherds knew of the Jewish anticipation, the Jewish expectation of a coming Messiah. Every generation of Jews grew up anticipating the, the coming of the Messiah. And it wasn't as though when he said that, they think, well, could it be the Messiah? Is he, is he maybe talking about the Messiah? No. The word Christ is the, is a, is the form of uh, the Hebrew word uh, Messiah. It, they mean the same thing. A Hebrew term, we, we translate Messiah means the anointed one. The Greek term Christos means the anointed one. It was the Greek term for the Messiah. And as if to dispel any possibility of misunderstanding, he is the Adonai. He is the Lord, which was the term used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translated well before the time of Christ. They would have been familiar with it. In fact, that was the Bible that Paul used and quoted from in his letters, the Septuagint, this Greek translation, Adonai, was the word that was used to refer to God. And so the angel's message could not be more clear. I bring you good news. The Messiah has been born. What a message. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he goes on to uh, give them a sign, something to look for, something by which they would recognize the Messiah. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, that's not terribly unusual. You have the baby bundled up tightly and snug and lying in a manger. Now, that's something you didn't see every day, even back then. Uh, a, a child resting in a cattle feeding trough for his crib. And certainly the idea of the Messiah resting in such a place would uh, be a sign indeed. And suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, now, I love the hymn, Angels We Have Heard on High, uh, sweetly singing over the plain. And maybe they were, but it doesn't say they were singing. They might have been, but it does say that they were saying, maybe saying with music, maybe singing, we don't know. At any rate, they were worshiping God. It was too good simply to let this go. A host of heaven came to join in, and, and the term host refers to an army. We think of it as a crowd, but it's particularly in the Old Testament, the hosts of heaven or or when it says here a multitude of the heavenly host, is a reference to the armies of God. The idea of the angelic beings conceived of as warriors. And it wasn't just of the angels. It could be used of a, of a, of a human army, a host 
coming, but the term generally had the idea of a large army prepared to fight, prepared for war. And there was this multitude of the armies of heaven, these angelic beings, a mighty, uh, perhaps even overwhelming sight indeed, praising God. And what did they say? Well, two things really it had to do, one with a Godward focus, one with a manward, earthward focus. Glory to God in the highest. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. They worship God because of any number of reasons. The amazing way in which this child came into the world, the amazing person that this child was, the second person of the Trinity, whom these angels knew and had worshipped for centuries, for millennia. They had worshipped him. They had been around him. They had served him. They knew him. And now he had been born as this, this baby. They glorified God because God was faithful to keep his promises. While people waited and waited and wondered, had God forgotten? Maybe all the promises were just bunk. Maybe there wasn't anything to it. Maybe it was just old fables. And the angels are praising God because he is faithful to keep his word. It may seem like a long time to us, though not to him. But God always keeps his promise. Well, that's the Godward dimension. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. No translation of that will ever sound right after the King James, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men, because there's, but it does capture an essential element of the meaning. The cadence is lost, but this meaning is actually more accurate to what it says. And on earth, may there be peace among those with whom God is pleased. It is not general peace for everybody. It is peace with those, for those with whom God is pleased. In other words, every person who ever would benefit personally through repentance and faith by the work of this Messiah who has been born in Bethlehem. And peace among those with whom he, that is God, is pleased. God is not pleased with any of us apart from Christ. And so this is, in a sense, a declaration of of the message, the, the gospel, that would, in fact, divide, that would, in fact, draw a line, calling people to be with Jesus or without Jesus, calling people to follow him, or to walk away from him, that's hinted at even here. And on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Well, that's the, that's the message. That's the angelic part, because we read when the angels went away from them into heaven. The angels departed. They went back where they'd come from. They had accomplished their mission. They had declared this, uh, this birth announcement, if you will, to the shepherds. Their part is over. But every year at Christmas... Even people who don't know Christ, even people who may not darken the door of a church, hear about Jesus. Because just as on that night when Jesus was born, the angels gave them the opportunity to hear about Christ, to hear the good news, that's one of the more wonderful things about Christmas, whatever about it you may not like. It's really ironic and fun to hear Christ 
being named, to hear his to hear the gospel even in, in songs that are played, in songs that are sung. It is truly an opportunity. And for those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, an opportunity all the more to revel in his grace and to delight in the goodness of God toward us. But you see, Christmas doesn't merely give us an opportunity to hear the good news. And the shepherds, we see that it gives us the opportunity to respond to the good news. Verses 15 and following, the angels have gone, the shepherds said to one another. Now, shepherds would be a most unlikely choice to bring the message of Christmas, of the birth of Messiah to, particularly because shepherds were not exactly on the higher rungs of the social ladder. In fact, they were very close to the bottom. Shepherds were generally looked down on with contempt sometimes because their job required them to be in violation of ceremonial laws, uh, because they kind of wandered the countryside. Some people looked on them, and perhaps in some cases, rightly so, as thieves. They were generally viewed as untrustworthy, in fact, to the degree that their testimony was not acceptable in a court of law. They were pretty low on the social strata. Well... It was the shepherds that God chose to announce the birth of the Messiah to. And that reminds us that God is no respecter of persons. In fact, God delights in the lowly. He delights in the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. To read that, I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as Paul reminds the believers in Corinth of who they are. Maybe they needed to be reminded of just who they are. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God announced this message to the lowly because the glory was all his. And we read then of their response. In the first place, there was investigation. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they did. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. The first thing they did was to investigate. Let's go see what's going on. Obviously, uh, the Lord's told us about this. We need to go check it out and investigate it. And they did. A very good response, by the way, to Christmas, to investigate, to say, what is all this about? What's going on? And to go and see if this is for real. I think one of the most amazing moments in the Scriptures was after Jesus' resurrection... Of course, his resurrection being perhaps the most amazing, but uh, is after his resurrection, when he's appearing to his disciples, you know, the first night, Thomas wasn't there. That first Sunday night, resurrection Sunday, and the disciples told him they'd seen Jesus, and Thomas said, I won't, I won't believe it until I can touch the wounds in his hand, touch the, the spear wound in his side. And uh, The next Sunday night, they're gathered, and Jesus appears. And uh, Thomas is there with them. Jesus came to meet with them. And Jesus holds out his hand. He says, here, 
Touch these wounds, Thomas. Here, feel the, the wound in my side. And we have no record that Thomas did. He simply says, my Lord and my God, acknowledging that, in fact, this was Jesus who was before him. But that should always be the posture that we Christians take. Investigate. Check it out. Feel the wounds, so to speak. We have nothing to hide. We declare truth. We're not afraid of people prying. The gospel will stand. The Bible will stand. And so these shepherds went, and sure enough, it was exactly as God had said to them, even to their Messiah, lying in a manger. Well, the next response that they had was that of witness. Verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Well, they couldn't stand it. They had to go out and tell people about what had happened and make known to them what they had seen. Of course, the angels, the message, it was just like the angels had said, that the Messiah has been born, and that was something that needed to be known, something that needed to be declared, and in fact they did. And that, that remains true today. We, like the shepherds, need to make known what we have seen and heard, what Christ has done for us, and what a joy that at Christmas that message is declared. Thinking about it, we shift from the shepherds very briefly to Mary. And I think there's a contrast here. The people wondered, didn't say they believed. Some of them may have. Some of them may have just thought, well, that's very interesting. Um, shepherds, though, who can trust them? Uh, but we shift quickly in verse 19, almost a parenthesis in, in this passage. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. No doubt uh, she was maybe surprised to see a collection of shepherds come to, uh, to visit her and visit the baby. Um, she was not aware of the angelic visit to them. And they came to, to see her baby. But it, whereas the crowds wondered, it says Mary treasured up all these things, pondering, meditating on these things, wondering, thinking about these things in her heart. And certainly uh, a fit response for us as well, not merely to superficially pass over them in our minds, but in fact to ponder them, to fix our minds on Jesus. And then last, um, and throughout this passage, that of worship. Verse 20, the shepherds returned. After all, there were sheep to watch, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard, all that they had seen as it had been told them. Both sections end with worship. The angel comes, he makes known this news, this declaration of the birth of Messiah, and the hosts of heaven join in, praising God, worshiping God, praising him, glory to God in the highest. The angels, or rather the shepherds in response, go out, go see and verify what has happened. They make it known, and then they too, as they return to their calling, glorify God, worship God, praise God. Glory to God in the highest. You know, it is quite worthwhile and, in fact, obligatory for any believer to read the Gospels, to mine from it the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to read of the miracles that he did that testified that he, he was who he said that he was, that pointed to him as the Messiah. But as you read the Gospels, also keep an eye out for the people who encounter Jesus, 
for the response that they make because it's all over the place from worship to hatred, from skepticism to faith. But as you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, the babe of Bethlehem, what is your response? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for Christ. Thank you for his amazing and lowly birth. Father, we thank you that when you sent the mighty armies of heaven to make known the birth of the Messiah, you came to the humble and lowly. Lord, we pray that we might be such before you, that we might come to know Christ, and that we who know Christ would hunger and thirst more for him. Thank you, Jesus, for your saving work, our King, our Messiah, our Christ, our Lord. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.